turn uh, your Bibles over to John 3. John 3, we're talking about a man named John the Baptist. We started uh, looking at him last week. And I don't do a lot of kind of like sermon part one, part two, but we're in part two of a sermon uh, that I've titled The Radical Baptist and the Son of God. Just a real quick reminder of who John the Baptist is. This is a summary of who John the Baptist will become. This is an angel talking to John the Baptist's uh, father, Zechariah, and the angel is telling Zechariah who John the Baptist will be. And uh, this is uh, what the angel tells John, or tells, Ze- tells Zechariah what John will do. And he says this, the angel says this to Zechariah, says, and he, John, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. There's a lot to be said there, but we're just not going to get into that right now. And turn their hearts, and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so the big idea of what John is doing, John is coming and he's going to be this prophet who's going to speak prophetically before the Lord comes. And his primary message for everyone, people who are a part of God's people, who people who uh, don't consider themselves as part of God's people or don't see themselves as God's people, is this really simple idea of turning. Uh, this word turn here is basically a synonym for the word repent. We talked about repentance was uh, last week. You are heading one direction and to repent is turn around and go the other. It could be said that repentance is recognizing that you are living a false way, and so you are going to turn around, and you are going to live and walk in a different direction. And so John's message for people, the predicted message that he would have for people from the angel, is that he would call people to repentance, that he would call people away from a false way of living to the proper way of living, which is to look at the one is to come who is going to be a Lord. And so he's trying to uh, prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And we all know this side of the resurrection that the person who is going to come is Jesus Christ. John is trying to point people to Jesus Christ. That's why he is asking people to repent even before Jesus shows up. Now we as followers of Jesus, we should look at what John has to say and what he has to say to the people there. But also as we study John's words and what he is calling us to, we have to look at this in another way as well, because we believe that Jesus is going to return. And so we can receive this message, not only as somebody thinking like if Jesus were to show up here right now in this place, in this moment, but that Jesus someday is going to show this moment. I have no idea. Um, But what John is trying to tell everybody who is listening and what he is calling them to is to be prepared for the Lord's presence and for his coming. And so verse seven of chapter three of uh, the book of Luke here is where we're going to pick up as we kind of came off last week, setting the scene. uh, John has come out of the wilderness and he's uh, either out on the banks of the Jordan or he's actually in the water itself because he's calling people to the baptism. And so he's speaking to the crowds here and he's told everybody it's time to repent before the Lord comes. And so all of these people are listening here around the water. And here's kind of where we pick up verse seven. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to him to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, 
I don't know about you, but these just, this doesn't sound like the kindest words uh, coming from a preacher, does it? Right? This is, this is, you're not going to like read like this is what you should do if you want to uh, uh, have people kind of like you as a, as a pastor, is to call them a bunch of snakes. But that is literally what John is doing here. He is coming out, and by the way, these crowds that he is speaking to perceive themselves as being children of God. These are Israelites. These are Hebrews. These are God's people that are standing on the banks here. And uh, these are, are, are people who are wanting to be baptized and coming to be baptized. And he's telling them, by calling them snakes, he's actually calling them enemies of God. That's what he is telling them. If you read through the Old Testament, and so John is a prophetic figure. He's an apocalyptic figure. And so what John does in his preaching and in his teaching is he uses a lot of Old Testament metaphors or images. And if you read it, uh, any, basically any time in the Old Testament, it talks about a viper. It describes vipers as enemies of God. And so John is looking out at a bunch of people who are supposed to be kind of children of God and behaving as children of God. And he's saying you're actually acting as if you are enemies of God and not children. And then he asked them this question, who asked you to flee from the wrath to come? And again, this is just imagery here that we don't see or we don't know about because we don't live during that time. But what the imagery here that John is conjuring up when he's talking about these vipers fleeing from wrath, you have to realize they live kind of in dry and arid area, kind of more desert when we talk about wilderness. And what happens when a desert, desert catches on fire in these areas and uh, the bushes catch on fire as well, the snakes flee. And, and so what John is having people think about here is that right now you're behaving kind of as enemies of God, which are, are snakes. And what is going to happen is that there's going to be this brush fire that's going to come out. And now they're snakes, these people are actually going to flee. Well, what's the purpose of this? Is that people are coming forward uh, to be baptized. They're, they're, they're coming forward because they have claimed that they have repented and that they've given their life to the Lord and they're gonna do what God would have them to do. And so they're the, these people who, who kind of believe that when God shows up, like, I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to want to see him. I'm, I'm going to run to him. But what John is saying is the way that you're living your life right now, actually, in reality, when God shows up, you're not going to run to him. You will run from him. And he's saying there's a great danger right now that is before you. And so in verse 8, this is what he says to them. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as your father. And so remember here that we're, we're talking about what repentance actually is and what it isn't. And John is calling people to true repentance. And what he says will happen is if you really repent, if you really decide that you're going to turn from a false way of living and turn to the correct way of living, which is following your Lord, following Jesus Christ, what will happen in your life is that you'll begin to bear fruit. Will you be the, 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 probably the best fruit tree in the garden right away? Maybe, but maybe not. But you will bear fruit. That repentance is actually about bearing fruit. And so repentance always leads to concrete action. It leads to life change. And he's saying that you can't come forward to be baptized or you shouldn't come forward to be baptized unless you are committed to that. Here. And so what is happening here, if you can imagine this, John sees it happening, he knows it's happening, and people are coming forward 
uh, for baptism, and they really, really, they just kind of want fire insurance here. Uh, they don't want to be the people that flee, but John is telling them, don't come forward unless you really are going to commit to change your life, unless you've really personally given your life to God. And you're serious about that. This is John's message for them. And he makes it very clear in saying this. He said, you believe or you say that we have Abraham as our father. Now that's significant to these people. These people believe that they are children of God and they believe that when God shows up, they'll want to see him. They'll be at his feet. They'll be worshiping him and praising him and, and all the things that we are doing here today, right? Simply because of their bloodlines. Simply because Abraham, who was the father of our faith, the father of their faith, passed down his lineage to them and they, they think that they are right before God because they are Jews, so I think for us here this morning, it's, it's real simple. What does this mean for us? It's a false repentance to believe that we can live off of our parents' faith. It's, it's false to believe that since my grandmother led the choir or, you know, she brought me to church every day when I was young, that I am right with God. It's false to believe that because my brother is a board of elder at the church down the road, that I'm cool. And what John, I think, also would teach today, and this is why we teach this, by the way, is that it's false to believe that because you were brought to church while you were a baby and sprinkled or baptized or whatever, that you're covered. This is why we teach that when you come forward to be baptized, you should come forward as an adult and the decision should be yours that you could have committed yourself to Christ and you've decided to follow him and you're gonna give your life and your heart and everything that you have to the Lord and then you're ready to be baptized because it's your decision, your family and all of that. Does it matter? Yes, it matters because we are a church who believes that you should bring your children to church. We are a church that believe, believes that you should bring your grandchildren to church, that you should uh, talk about what the Lord is doing when you walk and when you stand and when you sit down and when you're going to and fro. But if you come from a family that did that and you are living off of their faith, what John is saying is that's not enough. That's not what the Lord wants from you. These people are claiming to have Abraham as their father, but they do not have his faith or his life. And John says you need his faith and you need his life here. He continues this uh, teaching and he says this, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this is some really good news for people who hear a message like that and, and think like, well, wait a second. My parents' faith don't matter. My grandparents' faith don't matter. What matters is my commitment to the Lord. The good news is, is that God is able to bring the dead to life that if you've never heard of the Lord, if you've never heard of Jesus, if you feel spiritually dead, that God can bring rocks to life. This is what John is saying. He's saying, I don't need 
right? I, I don't need people who just claim to have a spiritual heritage. So I can bring those who are spiritually dead to life. And that is really good news. Like, it doesn't matter if your parents weren't spiritually fit, if your parents didn't teach you about the Lord, if your parents didn't bring you to church, if, if your grandmother didn't play the organ, like none of that matters. God can bring you to life, even if everybody in your family has been spiritually dead. And so John is saying that like, I, I can do that. God can do that, I should say, because he cares about you more than he does your past. That's really good news. The bad news here is, and there's a warning here, he says, for those who aren't really sincerely going to repent and are relying on the faith of their family or the, their heritage here and think that <laughs> is good enough, he's saying that the Lord, he's saying that God right now is holding an ax at the root of the tree. And he's saying if he's not seeing the tree bear good fruit, guess what God is going to do to the tree? He's going to cut it down. He's going to get rid of it. And this is true of us, like, personally. If we continue to just kind of live off the faith of the past or our parents or our, our grandparents, we can only do that for so long before we're just kind of cut down or wore out. We can only kind of get ourselves up in bed, <laughs> out of bed to come to church for so long until it just gets to be too difficult or to face to place our faith in Christ through thick and thin. And when God calls us to do things or believe things that are countercultural, you're only going to do that for so long before you're kind of cut out. If you're not willing to repent when God calls you to repent and live as he would call you to live, like God's just going to kind of cut you out. And this is true, by the way, of the church, I think, as well. If a church gets to the point where we no longer are, are being challenged by the Lord, where we are no longer finding ourselves at times, like we might be heading in a wrong direction, collectively even, or uh, teaching things that aren't godly. Like if we aren't willing to repent, what God is saying is that I can raise up a new church. Uh, if, if, if you no longer hold Christ above everything else, collectively, as a, I, can, I can raise, I, I can do it somewhere else. I think this is true. And so the question I think John is asking the crowd there, and would even ask a church like, the, uh, like ours, is, is who are you going to be? Are you going to be somebody that when the Lord calls you to repentance, you're really going to repent? You're really going to kind of turn around or are you going to continue to ignore the Lord? Because the longer you ignore the Lord, a lot of times the harder it is to turn around. And this is true of us as a church. Who are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that really does believe when it's time to repent that we repent individually and collectively together? In verse 10, you can imagine how the crowd may be receiving this. I mean, I, don't, I have no idea how you're receiving this right now. Like I said, this kind of preaching isn't that popular anymore. Verse 10, the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? So if this is what you are telling us, what shall we do? In other words, what does true repentance look like? How should we live? What should my life look like? And so he begins to explain here in verse 11. He answered the crowd who's asked, who are asking these questions. 
He answered them, whoever. Everybody say whoever. Whoever. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. The tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, what sh- and, what, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by false threats or, by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. So basically two kind of groups I want to speak into here, two categories. The first is whoever. Obviously, whoever means whoever. This means anyone, everyone, everybody who is listening to John fits into this category because you're not a tax collector and you're not a soldier, although both of what he has to say is relevant for everyone and whoever. But the whoever is really simple here. John says that true repentant, true, true pe- people who truly repent actually do something. And they do more than this, but this is immediately where John goes and what John is concerned about. And it's really simple, is that repentant people are concerned about the needs of the poor. Specifically, whether those people around them, considering called the poor, have enough food or clothing to survive. Now, I believe that a lot of us kind of live lives where we have to work to care about the poor. Uh, we, we do. Because a lot of us, we live somewhat separate lives from the poor. I'll have to be honest. Like where I live, there's not a lot of poor people in my neighborhood unless they are living uh, with a parent or a grandparent or something like that. Like they're living in nice houses around me. So in some ways, right, and we believe like there's nothing really like virtuous about being poor. We want to help lift people out of poverty. And one of the things a lot of us do, right, we have families or whatever, we move up the social ladder. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, or I want to make anybody feel guilty for that. We as a church try to help lift people out out of poverty. We teach financial classes so that will happen, and so people will make good financial decisions. However, right, if a lot of us, we move to the suburb or we move to places where there aren't a lot of poor people or we kind of separate ourselves in, a, in some ways from poor people, that means that we need to probably work to know the poor, to love the poor, and to serve the poor. Some people in our church, I, I wouldn't say they have become poor for the sake of Christ, but I, I think about good examples of this would be the Breckmockers who are here today. They do live in a poor neighborhood by choice to help minister to the poor. It's a, uh, an example of what it looks like. Those of you who serve at Joanne's Pantry, you do so. Why you do so? You are making friends with those who are poor. And you are meeting needs that John specifically says Christians should meet, which are feeding the poor. It's a beautiful thing to see and to do if you are a Christian, to work, love, serve, and care about the poor. It does require commitment. I think about my dad's here today. Sorry, this is. And I think about one of his friends. 
my dad has been best friends with somebody who I would consider to kind of fall in the category of poor for almost all of his life. He was a neighbor with this man, and we grew up going to his house, and for the longest time, uh, I'd always watch my dad getting Christmas gifts and just make sure he had what he needed, and uh, just, I mean, for years. My dad's 62 years old, and so I'm 36, so I've been watching my dad get this man a Christmas gift, uh, if not more, for the past 36 years, and remain friends with this man. It doesn't matter that my dad and my mom are not poor. I wouldn't consider them super wealthy, but they are not poor. This past Christmas, we were opening up our gifts, and we got through most of our gifts, and my mom brings out this big gift that was behind the tree, and uh, she said, hey, Mike, this is from your friend. He dropped it off for you, and he wanted you to have this this year for Christmas. He said, um, I've never been able to afford to get Mike a Christmas gift really before, but his mother had just passed away this past year, and he was left a small estate gift, and he wanted to make sure my dad had a Christmas gift from him, and he had never really given my dad probably anything super significant before, and I watched my dad open up this gift from this man, and it was just hard not to cry. Actually, when I wrote this in my office, I was. My dad, before he was a Christian, a follower of Christ, cared for his friend who was poor. Since, to believe it or not, my dad had more resources as, since he's become a follower of Christ because now he had the church. And so through the past several years, if this man has fallen on more hardship, he's been able to go to the church, get him food, money, clothing, anything. Jesus says things like the poor will be with you always. And while they're anointing Jesus, Jesus you know, said, you know, don't give that money to the poor right now. The poor will be with you always. And sometimes we use that as a passage to ignore the poor, or to not care about the poor, become apathetic about the poor. But that's not Jesus being dismissal, being dismissive of the poor. What Jesus is doing there is he is reminding people that if you really do love me, if you really do worship me, that these people are going to be with you. But if you love and you worship me, and if you keep your eyes on me, and if you give to me and you care about me, you will care about the poor because I care about the poor. You'll be the type of people who love the poor. Repentant people will be the type of people who know the poor, who care for the poor, and generosity. So John says that's what it looks like to be prepared for the Lord. That's what it looks like to be a follower of God. And then he speaks in to two more groups of people here, kind of same category. And he says to the tax collectors and to the soldiers who basically ask him, what do we need to do? So you said whoever, we got to care about the poor, so what do we need to do? And what he says to them is you have to weed out corruption. He tells the tax collectors, do not collect any more than it is authorized for you to collect. Uh, tax, collectors, tax collection was set up basically in this way. You had the Romans who were able to tax all of the Jewish people in, Israel's, in Israel. And you've heard of publicans. Publicans were set over what it, what, 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 what it was to collect taxes. So you had the publicans, and they made money, by the way. The publicans made money by taxing above your tax because that's how they put money in their pockets. And, well, the publicans couldn't go to everybody's house and get money, or they could. It was just taking them a lot of time. So what did they do? They hired what you would call chief tax collectors under them. And so guess how they made money? They made money by upcharging the taxes. Well, if chief, chief tax collectors were good businessmen, guess what they did? They hired other tax collectors under them to go collect the taxes. And guess what they did? 
How do they make money? The same way. And so it was a system you can see that was really easy to abuse. It was really a, a, a really bad multi-level system that abused people. And John is telling them, don't collect any more than you're authorized to collect. And then he tells the soldiers, basically kind of the same way. You are in a position of authority. You are in a position of power. Do not extort money from other people and be content with the wages that you have because they were using their power and their authority, like the tax collectors, to uh, take advantage of the normal and everyday people. And both were able to basically use kind of the government gun to do it and to back them up. And so what John says to all of these people is that you personally cannot be corrupt, but not only can you personally not be corrupt, you should not turn a blind eye to corruption either. And so you individually cannot be corrupt and you cannot contribute to a system of corruption. Because repentance is a life-changing call to action. This is what John is telling all of them. And he sounds like the prophets of Old Testament. He sounds like Micah here, who we are told in Micah 6, 8 says, People, the Lord has told you what is good and what, is, what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. So people are continuing to listen on the banks of the Jordan. And in verse 15... We say, as the people, it says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. So picture this for a minute. John has kind of told every, like, this is what's going on on the banks of the Jordan. And, and it's open air. It's different than this. And, and there's probably some teaching, like, going back and forth. And there's a little bit of dialogue going on, obviously. So you have this atmosphere around this. And, and people are talking. And they're probably asking questions. And there's this big group of people here. And they're having a heart, heartfelt discussion. Like, what does it really mean to take care of the poor? What, what does it mean for me to give my tunic if I have an extra one or to make sure I'm sharing the food that I have an abundance of with other people? I, I'm sure these conversations are going for the tax collectors and soldiers. So what does it mean not to be a part of corruption or to stop doing what we were doing? Like, what does that mean for our lives and for our profession? But he is, who, who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of the who's coming, the strap of them all, who's coming, uh, I, I put a wrong thing down here, okay, answer them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, um, whose strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I remember in youth ministry, I had a, uh, a young man show up, I said, Josh, I went to this other church, and uh, the pastor told me he was going to baptize me with fire, like, what does that mean? Hold on, um, his winnowing, his winnowing fork is in hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So many other ex exhortations he preached good news to people. And so the people are wanting to know here, they're hearing a message like this, they, in their context, and they actually want to know if John is the Messiah. Like they want to know, John, are you the Christ? Are, are you the one that God is sending? And what John tells them is says, No. I am not here. I'm the one who's going to prepare the way. And in fact, he says that my, back, my baptism isn't even really that good. He, he says that mine is incomplete. And then he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one is to come. Now, that's a really big statement for him to say, because in this time they did have servants. And the kind of the lowest servant on the totem pole uh, took off the sandals and washed the feet of those who were 
coming in. And you can imagine in, in the first century, there's animals everywhere. You're, you don't really have real nice shoes and all of those sorts of things. And you walk everywhere. So your feet were really dirty. And John says, I am lower than that servant compared to this guy who is coming. So I'm not even worthy to do that. And then he says, here's what this person is going to do. And we obviously know this is Jesus here. He says, this person's baptism is going to be much stronger than mine because he is going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you in two different thing, with two different things. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, when you are baptized by Jesus and when you decide to follow Jesus, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And he said, the second thing is that he will immerse you in fire. He will immerse you in fire. Now, depending on your reaction, John says, this is either a really good thing or a really bad thing for you. And so it's, it's really positive, according to John here, if you respond positively to Jesus coming and his calling for you to come and follow him. So if you decide to follow Jesus and you are going to really give your life to him, what he is going to do, he's going to kind of put you in his barn. The barn is a place where you put things that you're going to use to Feed other animals to do good. If you respond negatively, he said the fire is going to consume you. And this is an unquenchable fire. Like this is this is a fire of judgment. I'll get to the good fire here in a second. But he did say there is a fire of judgment. Now, some Right when you listen to a sermon like this or any sermon, are you just living a life in general where you're full of guilt and shame? It can feel like a fire already when you're not in a right relationship with the Lord. You can be angry all the time and you're carrying that with you. Like that feels like a fire. It feels like you're probably being judged all the time. Well, one of the things that will happen right, if you don't respond in the correct way here, that's, that's, that's you for the rest of your life. That's you for eternity. You're going to live in that. And you will die in your guilt. And you will die in your shame. And you will be judged, is what John says. But those who respond positively to the Holy Spirit and to God's fire, fire has another element to it. Like fire is a, 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 a metaphor for judgment in the Bible. But fire is also a metaphor for purifying people in the Bible. So both will be immersed in fire. It just depends on how you react to what the Holy Spirit does, to the Holy Spirit working in your life, depends on what the fire will do. The good news is if you respond positively to the fire is what God does is he begins to purify you. He begins to change you. You may not really have a heart for the poor. Like you may not care. You may be apathetic. But if you allow God to work in your life, God will change your heart. He will teach you how to love other people. He will give you the strength and the power to do so. And that is good news. Is that God doesn't want to leave you where you're at when you respond positively to the Holy Spirit. You may be walking one way, but he's going to begin to turn you around so you can walk in the direction that you actually want to go here. John holds nothing back. This is obviously a preacher, prophet-like guy who is fearless. <laughs> He's just going to tell people like it is. He's going to call people to true repentance. That's his ministry. And so I, I want you to kind of see what happens next to him. Verse 19. 
But Herod, the tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. And he locked up John in prison. So John is preaching to the people here, but this ministry is kind of broken up here in the way that Luke describes John's life and his ministry. He kind of fast forwards here, and then he kind of comes back. And he fast forwards to kind of what happens to John. It's incomplete, but what happens to John is John is one of these preachers, and he is going around, and he is calling everyone to repentance. And uh, John is speaking publicly about the sins of Herod, the, the person who oversees everyone, right? who, who basically rules the area. And what Herod does is Herod puts John in prison. Now, if you know the story of John the Baptist and you continue, what happens to John the Baptist? He actually gets beheaded later on. And so he's put in prison and then he's beheaded for speaking and telling people what he is telling people. So why, would, why did Herod decide to put John in prison? Well, John was talking about two things. First, Herod's moral corruption, personal moral corruption, is what Herod was talking about. Well, what was his personal moral corruption? His personal moral corruption was that he divorced his, his wife, his brother divorced his wife, had a little wife swap kind of thing going on there. John publicly just denounced it and continued to denounce it. Now, I think <laughs> politics, that would kind of be just kind of benign. Like, we'd come to kind of, oh, okay, that's weird. Probably shouldn't happen. But John spoke out against it. So I don't think it would be a stretch, right? If John were alive now, like, he would not have been a friend of our past president in that way. He wouldn't have. Similarly, what John would do now, because he doesn't just speak out against those things, like personal moral corruption, is he's talking about all the other things that he's done as well. I don't think John would be a friend of this president either. He, 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 he would probably speak out against things like the Orwellian Equality Act, like it's Orwellian-named Equality Act, which is going to further perpetuate. By the way, I don't think it's going to pass. I don't think it's going to get through the Senate. But our, our current president is endorsing an act that continues to perpetuate sexual confusion and deviation from God's ideal. Like he is. Which would, by the way, strip away religious freedom. Seeks to, to talk about issues like this. John would speak out against those sorts of things. John is taken to prison for stuff like that. He's silenced for things like that. And so for John, right, everyone is responsible before God. He's not going to give anybody a break here. Whether you're a regular person or you're a prince, right, John is going to call you to repentance here. So, how do you feel about John right now? Right? Would, are you glad he's dead? <laughs> you glad I'm not like John every week? 
Right. Let's see how the people respond. Verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, this is really interesting. John preaches a message very similar. I, I mean, I stuck pretty close to the text there, all the way through here. What I just said was not a stretch. It was not a stretch. So come back. <laughs> I know everybody's divided politically. Come back. Look how the people respond. They were baptized. I, I don't know if you have or haven't been baptized. But if you are looking for a, a different way to live that's not like everyone else is kind of selling you, uh, not going to be partisan in every way, but you, you really want to live and you really want to follow Jesus and you really want to live differently, you really want to be sold out for God, If that's you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in that way, answer him. Get baptized. There's, there's things. You can sign up to get baptized. I encourage you to do that. Like, don't delay if God is speaking to you. Now watch this. Follow me. And when Jesus also had been baptized, so we come back here to the crowd by the Jordan, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven. You are my beloved son with who I am well pleased. So I asked you this question. How do you feel about John? We see how Jesus felt about John. Jesus was baptized by this man. Jesus affirms this man's ministry. This is who Jesus comes to, to be dunked by. I said, yeah, this, this message, right? You, you are preparing people for me to worship me. This is the person we're told here. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and the voice of God says, this is my son and who I am well pleased. The person who God is most pleased with affirms John's ministry. And John says, by the way, and what happens here by the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus is actually God's way of telling us that Jesus' ministry is greater than John's. Because John says all of this, but just like I, I, I am standing here before you today, I am not the judge. It really does not matter what I think of you. It should not. What John is telling them that this is the judge. What God is showing us is that Jesus is the judge. And Jesus, too, is calling us to repentance. And he is calling us to faith. Now, what leads us to repentance? It is God's kindness. Jesus forgives. And Jesus loves. And Jesus came so that you would know that you are forgiven and you can walk in forgiveness and that the Holy Spirit and the fire can cleanse you. If you are walking in sin, Jesus isn't saying give up. He's saying let the Holy Spirit have a control of your life and walk in him and let the fire of God change you. And so child of God, right, walk in the kindness of God. He doesn't want you to continue to 
to go your own way. Jesus is asking you, God is asking you, the Holy Spirit is asking you to turn around. If anything struck within you, a accord within you, and you say, my life is not lining up with what God would have me to do right now, is God calling you to repentance. Let the fire purify you. Because we can. It's really easy to fall into a false way of living, even as a follower of Jesus. It's really easy not to care about the poor. But the interesting thing about Jesus' baptism is why did he need to be baptized? He didn't need to be baptized because Jesus needed to repent. (laughs) Jesus was baptized so he could identify with you, so he could identify with me. Not maybe just the materially poor, but the spiritually poor. He came because because we are not worthy like John to untie his sandals, and yet he came to identify with you. And if you believe that, you will care about the poor. You will care about everybody who bears the image of God because Jesus does. If I'm not living how I should, I'm taking advantage of people or even like John calling out people morally, sexually, like I'm living deviant life. What you are believing in that moment is that God does not care about you to meet those needs. God does not care about you enough to meet your financial needs. God does not care about you enough to meet your relational needs or to even tell you who you are. But Jesus coming and to be baptized and identifying you is God telling you that God cares about you. He cares about you and God will meet those needs that you have and he is asking you to repent and stop believing that you can't trust him and to turn around and walk to him and to trust him with all of your life. What is the Holy Spirit telling you, child of God? What is he telling you right now? Anyone who is listening or here this morning who is ready to repent, don't hold back. Don't hold back. There's nothing beneficial about living falsely. There's nothing beneficial about walking away from God. If you never turn to Jesus, I pray that you will turn to Jesus. Let us pray. Fathers, we look at somebody like John the Baptist. We see and we hear somebody who preaches to the heart. He himself was humble enough to say that he even needed Jesus, that he was unworthy to untie his sandals. And I pray this morning that if anything that he had to say struck anyone to the heart, I pray, Father, that we would just respond with repentance. if we have become apathetic about how to love and help the poor, I pray, Father, that you would give us a heart for the poor. I pray, Father, for anybody who's just living a corrupt life, and corruption is 
widespread in the human heart. It's widespread in, in our lives. It's widespread in our world. And sometimes we participate in it, sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly. And yet I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk out of it. I pray that you would help us to trust in you enough to believe that you will take care of us in this life and the next. I pray for all of those who are just looking for a better way to live. Not an easier way, but a better way. For people who are looking to turn around and to walk out of what is false in this world and to walk towards the truth to Jesus Christ, who's God in flesh, who the Holy Spirit was poured out on so that he could give it to us. And Father, I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work right now in this place and in this moment. And I pray that each and every person who is in earshot will respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in them. We do pray for your fire. We pray for your purifying fire in our lives. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.